friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Quarantine Journal, Day 18. Supplies are running low. Grocery stores out of everything. Unable to attain even the most basic of living... Sorry, crap. Trey? Yes? Trey? Yes? Trey? Huh? We're not doing a Quarantine Journal. It's it's tasteless, it's crass, it significantly underplays the struggle the world is going through right now. And besides, we've already been in this... No, 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 no. We have already been in this tomb for 527 days. We are not doing a quarantine journal joke. I was just trying to be timely. We cover comics from the 1970s. What's timely about that? True. So... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's go to Hellstrom Watch. Um, so, uh, Hellstrom Watch, the hottest segment in podcasting right now, um, is hitting a bit of a dry spell because our current Hellstrom Watch status is all of Hollywood is shut down. Yep. Marvel Studios is shut down. I believe production on, well, Hellstrom has already finished production, right? Hellstrom is wrapped. They have wrapped. Now, now, uh, post-production may be stuck. Depend, depending on Although, how much CGI they need. Um, I, I've read reports of various projects that were in the finishing stages um, that are unable to be finished because post-product, like, CGI and stuff is hard to do from home. Okay, but is that just because the computers aren't powerful enough? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, the the rendering and stuff. Like, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's just difficult to do that kind of work through a VPN or what, but uh, uh, by some accounts... Post production is being held up on on some things. Like, how many PS4s do I have to link together to make an explosion? <laughs> you say that, but I do. I vaguely remember when the PlayStation Three came out, and like the early models. One of the ways they were hyping them was you could run Linux on them and daisy chain them together into a supercomputer. Oh yeah, I know that 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 was my joke. <laughs> like. I'm pretty sure it was the PS3 that was held up on imports for on in customs for a while because it had missile control technology in it. Th- that sounds about right. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, not much is happening in Marvel movie and television news. Although Taika Waititi did post something uh, the other day that he is continuing to work on the script for uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. That's good. I mean, he, it's, it's nice he's keeping busy. Yes, and I think James Gunn has posted that he's continuing to work on the script for uh, Guardians Volume 3. Okay. So the, the projects that we're not already filming are still in pre-production, as long as that pre-production is, a, is something that the creators can do from home. That's good. And we're getting all kinds of interesting updates. Like, apparently SNL is going to do a show from home. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm, how many Zoom jokes do you think there will be? Oh, there are going to be so many grandma on Skype calls jokes that just like, just Kate McKenna in a wig <laughs> and glasses. Yeah. And like I said, I just, I imagine they, they will get a lot of mileage out of the like tiled Brady Bunch style zoom screen. Who will be Alice? <laughs> is the actress who plays, the actress who plays Alice is dead, right? Um, probably. I, I'm going to feel terrible if that's not true now. So I'm looking it up. Um, let's see. I used to know all of those actors' names. Uh, so it's Ann B. Davis. Yes, she died in 2014. Yeah, I remember her dying. So, you know, there was a day of mourning. Right, right. Um, there, there, there was the, the parade through the National Mall. Um, people threw themselves from rooftops. Is it? Wait, was I just making, making a comment about tasteless jokes and now I'm making a tasteless joke? I, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, that's where we're at. Oh, damn. See, this is what isolation does to the brain, people. <laughs> Although her final film role was the Brady Bunch movie, because she was she was grandma. Well, she was like she had a cameo as like a trucker. That's she was a trucker. Yeah, and like Marsha was hitchhiking. Yeah, yeah, like the, most of the original cast made like appearances like that. 
I actually really enjoyed the Brady Bunch movies. Yeah, they were fun. They're when I was a kid. I they were perfect for that time when all like our generation had basically grown up watching TV Land reruns. They springboarded an entire genre of like sitcoms turned movies meta comedy. Yes. Where where like the joke is how out of date the concept is. Yes. And the problem is, well, actually not a problem, but still a fun fact. Uh, they The Tomb of Ideas connection, of course, is that the guy playing Greg Brady is the voice of Spider-Man for the 90s cartoon show. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's uh, Barry Williams. See, I didn't know his name, so there you go. You got something on me. <laughs> the reason that the whole meta-comedy, like thing bugs me it's not because of the brady bunch movies the first two of those are fine but it's because of that trend in adapting tv shows into weird comedies uh that that's what led to us getting the tim burton dark shadows movie which just makes me mad every time i think about it oh that was terrible what, what else do we have in between let's see we had the brady bunch and then we had uh starsky and hutch starsky and hutch dukes of hazard Dukes of Hazard, yeah. The A Team. That's a good one, though. That's a real good one. That is, that is, that is actually pretty good, yeah. But let's see, what else do we have? <laughs> we had, um, we didn't get a Night Rider. We got a Night Rider reboot. Yeah, several, actually. Yeah. They never, none of them ever took off. Um, more recently, there was the Baywatch movie. Yes, this is true. Uh, 21 uh, Jump oh, Street. Oh, Chips. Chips. Yes, Chips, which by most accounts was not good. Eh, Christabel's husband in it. It's so, true. It's true. Um, I know. It, I know he has a name, but I don't care. Um, um, I think Beverly Hillbillies came first. I think that one was before the Brady Bunch movie. Okay, I enjoyed Beverly Hillbillies too, though. So, it, and it, it was well done. Like it, it actually it played the premise straight. You know, like it wasn't meta humor. Well, yeah. Also, had Jim Varney. Right. Right. That was which is like brilliant. One of, casting. one of his last live action roles, I think, aside from direct video Ernest stuff. But, like, brilliant casting, though. Yes, definitely. So, uh, let's see. Let's see. Charlie's Angels mostly played their premise straight. Ooh, 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 Yeah? Ooh, ooh, Dragnet. Right, that was earlier. That was, like, uh, 80s, but yes. But that was, like, the first of them, wasn't it? That, that one had to be before everything else. Um, and if it had been a bigger hit, probably would have caused the trend to take off sooner. Uh, ditto, uh, probably... Well, and again, this one played it straight, but Adam's Family. Oh, Adam's Family is fantastic. So, bo- both of those theatrical movies are, are great. Because they are literally just, yeah. they took the premise of the show and did it as a movie. Yep. Like, there, there wasn't a whole lot of winking at the audience in that one. Yes. But, like, in the Brady Bunch movie, they had, the, like, the whole sexual tension between Greg and Marsha. And yeah. just like, really? We're going? Okay, cool. cool go there. Yeah. And, and so Pornhub was born. Um, oh, another um, good one. Like, like I, we keep coming up with good ones that that break the the complaint I had. But Get Smart is actually good. Uh, okay, okay, I'll I'll give you Get Smart is good. Not as good as the original show, obviously. Sure, but. no, but it but it's another one that just does the premise. You know, like it is. Ooh, bad one, yeah. bad one. Bewitched. Oh yeah, Bewitched is real bad. I'm shocked we never got an I Dream of Genie. Yeah, I am astonished we never got a Gilligan's Island one. Yeah, you you know someone's pitched both of those. Like Marlon Wayans is Gilligan. Oh, oh, here's here's one. Land of the Lost. Uh, okay, yeah. Wow, a lot of these have Will Ferrell in them. Yeah, yeah. Because let's see, he he was he was in Land of the Lost. He was in Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Was he in Starsky and Hutch? No. Uh, if he was, it was a cameo. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> ben Stiller was in Starsky and Hutch. Yes, and Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Maybe. That that was who, when the two of them were doing everything together. Okay. Um, and yes, Will Ferrell has an uncredited cameo. Ta! I was right. <laughs> um, mark, mark that out in the history books, children. Uh, let's see, what else can we, I'm sure, like, listeners are yelling at us, like, you're forgetting about! Right, right. Da-da-da! Uh, so, they tried to bring back Munsters, that didn't take. Oh, man. Oh, that that really good Munsters reboot? Yeah, the one, that was, the one they did is, like, a, a TV movie instead. That was actually 
really good. Yeah, yeah. And then interesting things with the concept. Yeah, and uh, I think Eddie Izzard was in it. Eddie Izzard's in it. Uh, friend of the show, Jeff O'Connell's in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I say friend of the show. He's just been in a lot of stuff we like. Right, right. <laughs> Sliders for life. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Ooh. Uh, mm. Although, if Mr. O'Connell would love to be on the show, like to be on the show, we'd be happy to have him. Here's one. In some capacity. Here's one. I don't... What? I don't think that, well, if not for the Brady Bunch movies, we would not have gotten the Scooby-Doo movies the way they were. Ooh. Because those Scooby-Doo movies, especially the first one, are very much meta-comedy. They are commenting on the structure of the original show. Yes, but something positive we got out of that. James Gunn's Matthew career. Lillard. Oh, that too. Because <laughs> he wrote those. Okay. Okay. <laughs> James, James Gunn's career... And Matthew Lillard as Shaggy. Yes, yes. And and also, making Scrappy do a villain was mm, chef's kiss. Mm, there, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so good. I mean, he was always the villain, let's be honest. But, right, you know. right. Uh, Ooh, now I gotta go back and watch the Scooby movies, man. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. With like an eye, an, an eye towards James Gunn-isms. Yeah, well, again, he uh, he wrote the, the screenplays for the first two. Um, and... Evidently, initially, especially the first one, was initially written as a more like adult film, like a, a like more of like a PG thirteen movie, and and they had him tone it down. I could see that. So like like originally there were more explicit drug references and things like that. Okay, that makes sense. And it, he had to tone it down. Right, right. Just just like his tweets. <laughs> yep. <laughs> does does Wild Wild West count? Yes. <laughs> Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West definitely counts. Oh, man. Such a good concept, and he made that movie. Yep. Uh, the, the thing I'll never forget about Wild Wild West, the movie, was when Will Smith performed his theme song for it at one of the MTV shows. VMAs, maybe? what Whatever. I don't keep up with that sort of thing. But Will Smith performed it. And, and, you know, so they had, like, everyone that was involved in it, all the people that were, like, sampled or whatever, and and that means that Stevie Wonder was on the stage with them, performing. And they finish <laughs> okay. performing, and everyone leaves the stage, and they forgot to take Stevie. No! Yeah. Oh. Like, nobody thought to, like, take him with them. That's... That's a tragedy. Which... In microcosm, sort of summarizes Wild Wild West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's enough about weird uh, uh, TV shows turned into movies of varying quality. Anyway, this has been Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> On the show this week, we're talking about Strange Tales number 172, The Return of Brother Voodoo. Werewolf by Night, number 14, the conclusion of at least one part of the epic saga of Jack Russell, and Monsters Unleashed, number four. Uh, it's the asshole who wants to steal Frankenstein from the Wax Museum again. Yeah, don't worry, we're not doing that whole magazine. Um, there's just the one Frankenstein story. That one, we'll, we'll talk about that. Oh, God, man. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back after this quick message. Wait, we don't have sponsors, do we? Uh, No. Um, Squarespace, Blue Apron, um, sponsor us. Right. <laughs> Maybe. God, I would kill for a Blue Apron meal right now. Mm. Mm. Anything but rats. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 there's only so many ways to cook a rat. Find out more on blueapron.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's one sponsor we're not getting. Nope, never. I hope he's home. Why does it sound like I'm using a phone in the UK? I told you never to call me again. Yeah. I know, and modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, 
getting the trailer for this year's jail made together and i assumed i had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something <laughs> well look at you leading this year's jail may somebody's wearing his big boy pants so what's the theme i sent you an email like a month ago like i even pay attention to anything you send me countdown to infinite crisis infinite crisis no countdown to infinite crisis i'm not following shocking the theme this year i'm I'm gonna like i'm talking to a child the theme this year is countdown to infinite crisis i thought it was a fascinating time period in dc's history so a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to infinite crisis it's the event before the event The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020, with a special episode of Views from the Long Box covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 80-page giant. And from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes! Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, Don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. J.L. May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020, on Views from the Long Box. And continues into Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Married with Comics, The Coffee and Comics Podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast. You've got him on complete life support. Was he dead? Jim. Come on, Bones, what's the mystery? His brain is gone. What have you done with Spock's brain? Brain and brain! What is brain? This fellow is keeping us from our property. Go away. You must not take the controller away. We will all die. million of them. What am I supposed to do? I can't remember. He's dying and I can't stop it. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first story for today appears in Monsters Unleashed number four. Cover date is February 1974. The editor is Lynn Ween. The writer is Gary Friedrich. Penciler is John Buscema. Inks by Sid Shores and Wynn Mortimer. And letters by June Braverman. Our story today Frankenstein 1973, Chapter 2, The Classic Monster. The day after flames engulfed the fairgrounds, the neuroscience student bribes a police officer to give him the body of Frankenstein's monster. He shows it to Dr. Wallach, suggesting that with it, they can unlock the secrets of human life. Desperate to prove he is correct, the student activates machinery, sending electricity coursing through the monster's body, causing it to briefly awaken. Unfortunately, Its brain is damaged and requires replacement. Just then, Dr. Wallach interrupts to reveal that he is dying of cancer. One week later, the student has rigged the monster with a remote control mechanism and tries to use it to kidnap a suitable test subject. Unfortunately, the monster crushes the victim's skull, rendering him unusable. Instead, he gasses Dr. Wallach himself and prepares to transfer his brain into the monster. When the procedure is complete, Wallach awakens as the monster 
and flies into a rage over his new condition. He kills the neuroscience student for his arrogance, and resolves to repair the damage to the monster's brain, as well as finding a suitable human body for himself. Apparently the neuroscience student's name is Derek. Really? Yeah. He is not actually named anywhere in this story. No, he is. Is he? When? Um, when Wallach is mocking him in the cage. Oh, oh but it's true, end. Derek. At the Your very operation end. was a complete success. That's right. That's right. It's just weird to me that you get that many pages into a story before he gets named. No, he, get named, he gets named earlier when Wallach is talking to him about his cancer. Or I think it's just because we've gotten so used to just oh, calling yeah. him that asshole. Enough, Derek. Yeah, that's right. That That's all he is, is an asshole. Like... He really is. Like, the point where he's trying to get the death sergeant to turn over the body to him mm-hmm. because the owner is dead. Right. That's not the way property works. Right. Right. It would go to next of kin. Right. Right. No, it's, it's just, it's it's weird and bad. It It is. This this whole story is just like, oof. Although I, wa- I wasn't mad about him getting killed. Oh, no. My, my note here is, I've forgotten we'd started reading the story. Yeah. But. I actually had to look up the previous issue of the magazine to refresh my memory of how it ended. Yes. But I remembered, oh yeah, this guy, he's an asshole. Also, this guy has completely abandoned his fiance in the burn ward. Yes. Yep. Like, yep. He, he name drops her in part of his attempt to, like, con his way into getting the body. But, like, that's the last that we hear about her. Yep. That is the last we hear. It's just... Yeah, so I'm honestly kind of intrigued by what might come next. Like, I, I do like the idea of a scientist's brain in the monster's body. Like, that's that's something that you can do something with. It just is a shame that we had to go through two nothing stories to get us to that premise. Of course you like it. It's that Bella Lugosi thing you keep on talking about. It, it is actually. That's uh, that is uh, the the climax of the Ghost of Frankenstein is that they put Lugosi's brain into the monster's body. So, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love how he's talking about like I'm going to transfer my brain into a more suitable body. How? I mean, I guess if, if it's been done once, it can be done again. Now, it's going to require taking someone else's brain out of their body. Like, he has already resolved to commit murder a second time. It's also going to... Res- he's going to need an, assist- an assistant. Maybe. I mean, he can... He can... Like, the monster's hands work. But if you take your brain out of your body... Uh-huh. How are you going to put it in another body? Fair. Fair. That That's not exactly like, something you can do to yourself. This is true. No. Like, once brain is removed, how do you insert into other body? He's going to need an assistant of some sort. It's almost as if he should not have killed Derek. I mean, don't get me wrong. Derek needed to die. Because <laughs> he's horrible. Right. But, you know, a, a, a neuroscientist that isn't trapped in body you're going to be operating on might have been helpful. This is true. This is true. Now... We're assuming this is one of his professors, so he has other neurology students he could bring under, bring into his confidence, as it were. Right, right. But again, but, it, the, the, the way the story ends does raise some questions. So many questions. Uh, I also, I do enjoy, that there's not enough time given to it, but I enjoy the brief moments of, like, Derek, the asshole, having uh, a remote control Frankenstein's monster. It's very cabinet of um, Dr. Caligari. Uh, there you go. That's the one. I was thinking My. Spock's brain, but sure. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> if, if, if you want to get highbrow about it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Spock and highbrows. And okay. Uh. <laughs> um, and that's sort of where we're at with this story. It, it's not. It's not the best. No. The art's pretty good. Uh, the, the art's pretty good. Yeah, it's John Buscema. It's hard to go wrong. Yeah, like, like it is high-quality black-and-white magazine art. Uh, yeah. And and the, the look of the monster is sort of... I think we said this on the last story, too, but it, it's sort of splitting the difference between the monster we see in his solo book and more of a traditional universal Karloff-style monster. Yeah, Like, it's sort of in between the two. It's... It's fine. 
I mean, yeah. no, no, nobody in the story is likable. No, there, there is no, a, there, there is no sympathetic protagonist here. In fact, if I remember correctly, not even the girlfriend was likable. No, she, she was crazy too. She, they, everybody here is crazy and unlikable, and man, it, except for Frankenstein's monster, who, who is the victim in all of this? But his brain is gone. Right. So for now, it, it's just a body. Right. Right, but that's the thing. Like, if there's anyone to sympathize with, it is Frankenstein's monster. I suppose. Who has been, like, damaged and taken advantage of and now has had his brain removed. <laughs> oh. And that's really, I think, all that I have to say about this one. It's, like I say, visually it's cool. Like, like the, the, the art's good, but it's the second part of a story that wasn't great to begin with. Um, and the best I can say for it is that it does raise some interesting possibilities for the next one. It does. Um, not going to really cover the rest of the magazine because, frankly, it doesn't really apply to our usual areas of discussion. Um, there's a Gulliver Jones story, Warrior of Mars, um, but it's part two of a story that began in Creatures Unleashed, and we didn't cover that story, so we're not going to cover the part two either. Um there's a review of a Ray Harryhausen book about uh, his stop-motion techniques, which is kind of interesting. It's got some good pictures of Ray Harryhausen creatures from various sci-fi and fantasy movies. And uh, one thing of note is that the magazine does end with a brief uh, in-memoriam page for Lon Chaney Jr., who passed away at age 67, on July 12th, 1973. Now, once again, this issue of Monsters Unleashed was February 1974. Okay, so you and I are of differing opinions of Lon Chaney Jr. I think that he was an interesting actor with fairly limited range. Limited is understating it. But the movies in which he was effective, he was very effective. Were those the ones in which he was sober? Usually, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is it it it's it can be difficult to separate the good performances from the not great human being. Like, you know, we know that Peter O'Toole was drunk, right? Yes, although some of that may have been a little exaggerated. He enjoyed okay. playing he enjoyed playing the the role of public drunk, but he was able to put that aside for his role, for his work. You could tell Lon Chaney's ass was drunk on set, especially in later years, yes. It's like it's especially apparent in the stuff he did in the late '60s and into the '70s. So much of his, of who he was as an actor, his his success as an actor, is because his name his name was Lon Chaney. I mean, to a point. Although, like, I don't know that being the son of a horror star necessarily did him any favors when he got the role in My- of Mice and Men. Okay, I've not seen that, so I'll I'll, it's, give, I'll give him. It is one of his there. best performances. Okay. Um, or even, like, we tend to talk about him in terms of being a horror actor, and sure, he did lots of those movies, but he also was a a fairly accomplished supporting player in westerns. I could see him being good in a western. Like, like he's he's memorable in uh, High Noon, which is one of my favorite westerns. That's a John Wayne thing, isn't it? No, it's not. It is uh, Gary Cooper. Oh, you're right, it is. Have I ever told you how much uh, I hate John Wayne? Um, it's come up before, yeah, but High Noon is the Western that John Wayne hated. Because he wasn't in it? No, because he opposed the idea of, like, the townspeople not rallying around the sheriff, which is the whole point of the movie. Oh. John Wayne was a garbage human being. This is true. Like, this is... Also, I'm pretty sure High Noon was made partly by people who were blacklisted. And Yet again, John Wayne's a garbage human being. Yeah. Yeah, like I, even even with my dislike of Lon Changer in films, I can still have some sympathy for him as a human being. And and also, I mean, in terms of Cheney, like this is not an excuse, but there there are strong indications that part of his alcohol alcoholism was due to undiagnosed, untreated depression. Yes, which again does not excuse his behavior, but it might explain the self medication. Yes. By by some accounts, he apparently attempted to end his life sometime around the production of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Which apparently he was horrendous on, but you know. 
Well, and again, if if this other was going on behind the scenes, you know, like that could have yeah. been lashing out due to other reasons. So again, I'm just merely trying to acknowledge that there may have been more going on than than just him being belligerent and awful. Although, if you want some fun John Wayne trivia, look up the Conqueror and filming location sometime. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, without getting into that story, uh, The Conqueror is probably the movie that killed John Wayne, along with most yep. of the other cast members and, yep. and crew. Yep. Um, and in addition to that, is worth tracking down just because how often do you get to see John Wayne play Genghis Khan? Not in a reasonable reality. <laughs> Because that's a weird movie. It really is. Uh, it's right up there with, in terms of weird John Wayne performances, it's right up there with uh, with the greatest story ever told, the the Jesus movie. Is he in that too? He is. He is the Roman centurion. The one who pierces the side. Um, the the one who uh, like comments after he is dead. And, and so, and let's see if I can do this. In in the middle of this. Point because it's a it's not my favorite movie but but greatest story ever told is a beautiful movie Max von Sydow is is Jesus like and and it's this very moving sequence during the the death of Christ right and suddenly camera pans over and truly I say he's the son of God <laughs> oh wow. And it just kind of, you know, shatters the moment. Oh. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, just like our um, just like our diversion into the Brady Bunch movie, <laughs> I think now that we've started talking about um, John Wayne of Biblical Times, yes. it is maybe time to move on to our next segment. So yeah, we'll be right... Again, ju- just to, to go back to where we started, the point I was making was there's an in memoriam for Lon Chaney Jr. in this magazine. I'm not really sure why, because it came out fairly a fairly long time after uh, he passed away. <laughs> Wait, no, it's just like... Uh, we'll be right back with Strange Tales number 172 right after this message. Hi, I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honoring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your conchu on. In the eerie world of deep, dark dungeons, mystery and magic seem real. There's good against evil with advanced Dungeons and Dragons action figures. War Duke, Kellogg, Strongheart, and Bronze Dragon, each sold separately. Beware, Strongheart. You'll cast an evil spell and steal the treasure. Evil is no match for good. The treasure is safe. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons action figures. Kellogg, War Duke, Bronze Dragon, Strongheart, each sold separately from LJN. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Our next issue on this episode is Strange Tales number 172, Fiend in the Fog. Cover date on this bad boy is February 1974. Writer is Lynn Ween. Artist is Gene Colan. Inker is Dick Giordano. Letterer is Jasper Saladino. Colorist is Glennis Ween. Editor is Roy Thomas. Our story begins as Jericho Drum saves a woman from drowning. Taking the young woman back to his home, he learns that she is Laura Lee Tate, the daughter of a prominent police inspector. She shares with him a story of being terrorized by men in black robes who seem to worship a black rooster, culminating in her driving off the road, ending up in the Mississippi River. Suddenly, the same men in black robes burst into Drum's home, taking the girl and knocking Brother Voodoo unconscious. Drum wakes to find Laura Lee's father, Inspector Samuel Tate, and one of his detectives, Pete Hawkins, standing over him. Filling the elder Tate in on what has occurred, Drum is told that three other women have been found dead in recent weeks. The only connection, the black rooster feathers found their apartments. Despite Tate's insistence that he stay out of the way, Jericho Drum disappears in a pillar of smoke, determined to save Laura Lee. 
Meanwhile, the same Laura Lee Tate screams as the men in black robes drag her towards, towards an altar to their dark lord. So, not a lot happens in this issue, but I really like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um... I think it's fair to say that this is a lot of setup for what's going to probably come in the next issue. Yes, in fact, this issue is all set up. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's um, sort of the closest we get at this point in his career to what might have happened if Lin Wein had written Doctor Strange. I can see that. I mean, we've talked about before that the way they handle Brother Voodoo is very similar to early Doctor Strange, which is the only Doctor Strange I've read. They may do that in the title it is, that is contemporary to this book. I just haven't read those books. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, the, the Ditko Doctor Strange stuff, of course, is a little bit earlier. It's, it's what, mid to late 60s. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can definitely, at least I can feel the connections, the inspirations sort of percolating in the background, uh, especially the earliest of those stories, where you did sometimes have Doctor Strange encountering, like, normal, everyday detectives and such. Yeah, which, you know, he comes to the rescue of just random people who wander into his sphere. Right, right. And and that is sort of interesting that, it, at least in this story, we don't have Brother Voodoo sort of setting out to be a superhero, but rather stumbling into a situation that calls for his heroism. Yes. Although, again, you're right, if... We were if this was like an hour long TV show, this would be the first half hour. Yes, yes. It's just it's very brief. Right. And but what it does that it, that I like is it continues to build the mythology and supporting cast and and setting of Brother Voodoo, which we've talked about this Brother Voodoo in this title is not going to last a whole lot longer, but at this point you can feel them putting the pieces in place for the potential of a longer story, you know, with uh, the mansion and the relationship to the servant and all of that stuff that had been established already, but is now getting explored. It's really uh, kind of upsetting. It doesn't last longer because I'm really enjoying this title. Yeah, and, and it's fun. It's and it's a little bit more adventure fantasy than some of our other books. It's if anything, it's closest to Man Thing. But even that's not an exact match. No. But if you were to ask me if I had to take one, um, Ghost Rider or Brother Voodoo, I would pick Brother Voodoo. 100%. Uh, same, same with Hellstrom. I, I would much rather, I, I would probably keep Brother Voodoo over Hellstrom. Yep. It's just, it feels like it's a better story. Yes. And, and part of that is is it's got a really solid creative team. Yes. Lin Wein, uh, which... I believe this is even before he creates Wolverine. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. This might have been... I'm not sure exactly where the timeline matches up, but uh, Lin Wein also briefly had a run on The Defenders. Okay. And th- this might be roughly around that t- time. Because um, I think Englehart leaves Defenders around 73, 74. So it's interesting... Does this book get canceled because no one was buying it, or because Lin Wein was moving on to other projects? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like if it was selling well enough, they would move someone else onto the title. Yeah. But I just have a hard time imagining somebody not wanting to read this. It's good stuff. Yeah. Apparently, from what I'm reading, Colin, it, it wasn't Gene Colan's favorite book to work on, uh, because Lin Wein's scripts tended to lay things out page by page, panel by panel. Ah. And so there wasn't a whole lot of sort of creative input on Colin's part. Okay. So the artist wanted to leave. Maybe it wasn't selling as well. So, okay. What's your source for this, by the way? It was an interview from uh, Back Issue. Okay. The Tomorrow's Magazine. Anyway, but um, regardless of, of why it ultimately gets canceled, I thought this issue is a good setup for for a two-part story. I think so. And one, one thing I'm surprised by is, and I know this is, we've talked about this is a period where the comics code is getting more relaxed, but I am surprised they got away with the inverted crosses on the, the cultists' foreheads. Yeah, that's a classic satanic kind of symbol. So the code is still in effect, so I'm not sure how they got away with that, but okay. And, and this Although we are is, like seeing I, all kinds of demon this, worshippers and 
And this is where the code is getting relaxed. I mean, we, we've got Hellstrom with his pentagram, too, so... True. I, I think we're going to start just start referring to this as the tragedy of Brother Voodoo. Yeah. Because we really enjoy the book, and we know it's doomed. Yeah, and all, all I can wonder is if maybe there is some drop-off over the next several issues, you know? How many issues do we have left? Not many. Um, so, we're on what? 173? Two. 172. 172, yeah. The next issue is the last. We got. We have one more issue left. Of Strange Tales, and then he becomes a backup feature in Tales of the Zombie. Okay. For like, a, you know, not many issues of that either. No. So, and after that, it's just sporadic guest appearances. <sighs> Shame. I really enjoyed the book. Like, I don't think he got a solo title until... Like, like, in terms of a self-titled book, as opposed to Strange Tales featuring, um, I, I think his first solo title might have been the Doctor Voodoo title, where he became Sorcerer Supreme, and that was really? like that was Rick Moren- Rick Remender, so that had to have been mid two thousands. Huh. I could be wrong there, but that's that's the yeah. only solo title I know of that was titled Brother Voodoo. Although even that one was actually te- that one was called Doctor Voodoo. So who knows? So there really has never been a Brother Voodoo title. I don't think so. Interesting. Like, he appears in, you know, Team Up and Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night and all over the place, but but not in his own self-titled book. Interesting. Anyway, I really like it, and I'm sad we're going to not have much of it, but so much more Ghost Rider. I, I, I don't know if we're going to agree on this, but I think technically we are going to have to eventually, whenever we get to the 90s, cover an issue of the Marvel Beavis and Butthead comic. Tell you what, let's talk about that when we get there. Because Brother Voodoo appears in issue number 15. <laughs> and Man-Thing. Yeah, yeah. Man-Thing's in it too. Yeah. Uh. But, back to back to Strange Tales. Again, there's not a whole lot of story to talk about. The art is effective. It's, it's good sort of superhero fantasy adventure. I guess, since I've complained about it with several other titles, I can at least gripe a little bit about yet another group of cultists. Oh, yeah. There's a plethora of... You gotta understand the 70s band. The economy's going down the tubes. Um, the people have lost faith in government because of Nixon. <laughs> you know, I imagine we're gonna start seeing cults popping up around here any minute now. <laughs> I, I just it, I just like to imagine that the Marvel Universe in the 1970s was just overrun with cults. Like, yeah, the, like I mean, at this the, point, that checks out. at this point, we've seen at least two or three different cult groups just in L.A. of the Marvel Universe. Well, see, that that, that proves we are wrong. This is New Orleans. <laughs> right. That That's dispersed. That's a that's a very far distance. You could not walk there in a day. <laughs> <laughs> so many cultists. It, it's hard to talk about this one because... Again, while good, it's not like there's a whole lot of plot. It's a very simple setup of of conflict, and then we we drop off before there can be a resolution. Yes, it does. One thing that I will say is that we still haven't really explored Brother Voodoo's powers in any specific sort of way. He he does magic stuff, right? It's it's still sort of in that that very loosely defined realm. As the early Doctor Strange stuff, though, like like we we get him conjuring fog, we get the the sounds of the drums, like we get him, he, he starts to summon his brother at one point, but yet again doesn't manage to. That's becoming a thing where he tries to use the power of his brother's spirit and then gets interrupted. We don't even see his brother. No, as like a manifestation. Yeah. Well, and he's interrupted by uh, whatever knocks him out. Uh, let's see. Like, the thick fog billows and swirls toward the mansion. But that's not his brother, because that's what knocks him out. That makes no sense. Smothering fog billows and swirls, almost as, as an answer to his cryptic summons. No, that doesn't... But then it seeps in and no, knocks that, him doesn't out. Make, that doesn't make sense. Right? And then you see a face in the fog on the last panel. Yes. But I don't think that's so meant to be his brother's think, face. No, I think it's meant to be Dark Lord. In fact, that's the image of the cover. Like that's the that that demon creature swirling around him is the fog, fiend in the fog. Yeah. So I wonder if that's going to be addressed in the next issue. Mm, don't know. Maybe. 
because that's confusing. It is. And then the and then that the creature also looks vaguely like the the demon on the the final panel. You mean the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook cover? Yes, exactly. That that is exactly what that image is. It is to the point where I'm wondering if you know that was the inspiration because yeah. dang that is very similar. Yeah, um, and, and then of course there is a uh, a reprint backup story that I did not read. No, no, guys, if you're reading along with us and you're reading the backups, please let us know. Yeah, pow- in fact, power if to you're you. just reading along with us, please let us know. Yeah, because man, you are you are a better man than I, Gungadin. <laughs> so. Yeah, we have one more issue of Sp- of Strange Tales featuring Brother Voodoo. Sadness. Yeah. Um, that's not the end of the book, of course. It's just the end of Brother Voodoo being in the book. Who takes over after Brother Voodoo? That is a good question. The Golem. Oh, so not our not our end of our story with Strange no. Tales, just our end of our story with Brother we Voodoo. We will continue covering Strange Tales for, for a little bit. Fun. And actually, we'll still get Brother Voodoo as a backup. Yes, like I said, he does appear for at least a couple of issues in Tales of the Zombie. Okay. Before being, before having his reputation unfairly sullied by, uh, uh... Himbeck? Yeah, by Himbeck. Poor guy. Because because he confused Brother Voodoo for DC's Brother Power the Geek. Huh. I'm glad we don't have to cover that guy. <laughs> well, he only lasted a few issues. Like he, His run was about as short as Brother Voodoo's. <laughs> anyway... We'll be right back with Werewolf by Night, number 14. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! In Captain America 2, the U.S. government calls on Steve Rogers to help uncover a sinister plot against the United States by one of the world's deadliest criminals. Miguel? The revolutionary? In his quest for world domination, this man plans on holding the United States hostage. There. In two days, we'll have enough of Wilson's aging compound to affect that entire city. He's demanding one billion dollars immediately. Or he'll spread a chemical through a major American city, a chemical that will cause rapid aging. This is a job for Captain America. Christopher Lee, Connie Selica, and Len Berman star in this high-flying action-adventure tale as America's greatest hero battles against overwhelming odds in Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our third and final story for today is Werewolf by Night, issue number 14. Cover date is February 1974. The writer is Marv Wolfman. Artist is Mike Plug, inks by Frank Kiramonte, letterer is John Costanza, colorist is Petra Goldberg, the editor is Roy Thomas. Our story today, Lo, the Monster Strikes. We open with a brief recap of the werewolf's situation. Held captive by Taboo, and locked in a deadly battle with Algon, Taboo's mutated son, who, thanks to the powers of Topaz, now has the mind of Philip Russell. Topaz begs for Taboo to stop the fight, but Taboo slaps her for failing to destroy his enemy as commanded. Suddenly, mid-fight, some part of Jack Russell's consciousness awakens in the mind of the werewolf, and he sees his stepfather Philip in Algon's place. Remembering the oath he made at his mother's deathbed, he stops fighting. Just then, the rays of the morning sun begin to fill the room transforming the werewolf back into Jack Russell. Taboo then orders Algon to kill Jack. Evading the monster's grasp, Jack attempts to take Topaz hostage. 
Taboo orders Topaz to use her powers to free herself, but she refuses and pleads with Jack to do what he can to stop Taboo. Taboo, angered by this further betrayal, reveals that he can't kill Topaz yet, but that the next time he sees her, she will meet an agonizing death. For now, he releases Jack, Topaz, and Philip, apparently all according to his plan. Back in LA at the Russell House, Topaz says there is something wrong with Philip's mind. Jack's sister, Liza, wants to know where he's been, where their stepfather has been, and who the weird woman is, but Jack says she just needs to trust him. Unable to reach any consciousness in Philip's mind, Topaz destroys what remains of Algon, and leaves Philip's body an empty shell, which understandably freaks out Liza. Jack then makes plans to return to Taboo's headquarters to save his stepfather's life. Meanwhile, Taboo plans for Jack's return with mystic rites, which will somehow return Algon back to his human form. Topaz asks Jack to take her along so that her powers can help in the fight, but he insists he must go alone, and they embrace. As Jack drives away, he is followed by members of the committee. Jack detours at high speed down winding dirt side roads, and ultimately the two cars collide, sending both over the cliff. Jack grabs a branch on the way down, saving his life as his car explodes in the canyon below. He travels the rest of the way to Taboo on foot. Taboo conjures a green flame from his cauldron, which takes the form of Topaz. Using the skull of Daemon, he imbues this form with Topaz's life and power, power that he intends to transfer to Algon. Jack is drawn to the chamber by an awful scream, as Algon's monstrous body is attacked by a collection of hellish beasts. Just as Taboo moves on to Algon's final testing, the moon rises, and Jack transforms into the werewolf. As Algon turns to confront the werewolf, he knocks over an urn, instantly turning it to gold through the transmutation powers he now possesses. As the fight rages on, Algon's blows transform more and more of the items in the room to gold, and in the chaos, a large, newly golden Buddha statue topples over onto Taboo, crushing him instantly. The werewolf takes advantage of the distraction, pushing Algon into the cauldron, still containing the mystic skull, and instantly destroying Algon and freeing the soul of Philip Russell. The werewolf tries to escape the collapsing building, but is trapped. Jack wakes up the next morning in the rubble and hitches a ride back to LA, where he finds that Topaz is indeed safe and sound. Philip then pulls Jack aside to have a quick father-son chat. Philip reveals not only that he loved Jack's mother, but that Gregory Rusoff, Jack's biological father, was Philip's brother. It was in fact Jack's mother who was being blackmailed over family secrets, and Philip tried to take care of it for her. Finally knowing the truth, Jack and Philip embrace as family. One week later, Philip and Liza see off Jack and Topaz as they depart for the Balkans, where his father died. In 12 hours, they will arrive in Germany and board a train to Transylvania. Before we get started, and there's a lot here, <laughs> wasn't Algon the bad guy in Space Mutiny? Uh, that's Calgon, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Calgon, blow me away. <laughs> oh, classic. It is. Oh, man. There's so much to have us in this issue. There is. It, it was a, and it, you know, I liked it. It felt like a season finale. Yes, it definitely did. Um, the one thing that this, ep the, this issue lacks, and I think you're going to agree with me, is Buck Cohen. You're right. Especially since his man gets stolen in this, ep in this ish right? episode. Issue. There we go. That's right. Right. Um, we, we continue the tradition of Jack Russell wrecking cars. Yes. Where I'm not sure who's the better stunt driver, him or Johnny Blaze. Right. Because. <laughs> it is impressive that he grabs that random branch on the way down. Honestly, Jack Russell has a better record of surviving car crashes than Johnny Blaze does. <laughs> this is fair. This is entirely fair. Because what was the last? He's ended up in the hospital twice. And. Jack yes. Russell manages to get by by the skin of his teeth. Yep, yep. So, I honestly was not sure if I was going to enjoy this story because I was a little iffy on the first part, but this is a pretty satisfying conclusion to the story. It is. 
It, it, and you're right. The, the first part is a little eh, but it's saved by the Plug artwork. Yes. Yeah. Plug, Plug does a great job here. We don't have quite as many of his stylistic flourishes as I would like. But everything is is very pretty. Yeah. He's given really big panels to play around with here, especially in the, like the first three pages or so. Yes, and it's obvious they're just like, "Hey, Mike, we need this explosive," and it works really well. Yeah, I, I think the closest we get to one of his signature montage pages is fifteen, when Taboo Taboo is conjuring over his cauldron. Yep, yep, that's a good panel. Honestly, that's a good page overall. Good page. I really... I, I, You know, despite the fact that they give Jack another beard, I really enjoyed this issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we finally are more or less caught up to his cameo in Tomb of Dracula. Oh, yeah. And we figured that, that it was something like that. That, you know, that this was, that was taking right. place after the thing with Taboo. It's nice they've seeded it a bit. I do appreciate that they make it explicit in the caption boxes that he is on his way to Transylvania. Yes. And they do say in the next blurb that it's going to be Werewolf Meets Dracula. It all begins at Tomb of Ideas 18. Tomb of Dracula 18? That's right. Tomb of Dracula. Where's Tomb of Ideas? Where did I get that from? I don't know. It's a good title, though. Oh, yeah. Someone should make a podcast like that. Ah, nah. Podcasts are a dying breed, my friend. Unless you're Conan (laughs) O'Brien. Did you know that Conan O'Brien made podcasts popular? I did not. <laughs> there was honestly an article saying Conan O'Brien makes podcasts popular. I'm just like, I'm sorry? What? Like, they existed for so many years before he, like, started one. I mean, I love his podcast. Don't get me wrong. It's a great podcast. But. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a regular listener, but the, the episodes I've listened to are good. <laughs> anyway. Um, so what do you think of the resolution with... Uh, the stepfather, because that 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 bears um, thinking about here. Yeah, yeah. I we weren't far wrong. We weren't. We weren't. We we thought that it was more complicated than Jack was assuming. Yes. It lines up well with the way that the committee has been targeting Philip. Yes. They're like, hey, we know you got money. You give it to us before. Give it to us again now. Come on, man. Yeah. The the. Marrying your brother's widow thing is a little bit Hamlet for my tastes. Eh, very biblical, though. This is true. Um, so, like, that part of it just feels a little weird to me. <laughs> oh, God, that makes Jack Russell Hamlet. Oh. Yes, it does. Uh, okay. Okay. I could deal with that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I. but I think it's about as good an explanation as we could hope for. Yeah, it'll do. Especially if this means sort of a continued exploration of the family dynamic and supporting cast once he returns from Europe. Yeah, I mean, what does this do to his whole new supporting cast and all that fun stuff that we've been following this whole time and not really caring about? Like, he's got a house to go home to now. Yes, but what about the boarding house he was going home to? Well, that's what I'm saying, is like, that, that, I mean, we didn't like them to begin with, but it seems weird to introduce all those characters, and then take away his reason for being around them. Yeah, that's what they've done. It's, it's... I would imagine that, that this wrap-up would have happened, you know, a few issues back, honestly. Yeah, like, fairly early in the run, even. Dang it, now that we talk about it, it seems weird. I don't trust it. it. Is, it it's weird, it's weird that it comes up right now. Um, and, and not even in one of the issues that's directly about the committee. No, you're right. It's just... So, like, hold up. Taboo was behind the committee, right? He was involved. Okay, but he's not their main dude? I don't believe so. Because otherwise, why would they be trying to stop Jack from getting back to Taboo when Taboo's plan is for Jack Russell to come back? Oh, god damn. Does that mean we have more committee coming up? Oh, there's a lot more committee coming up. Ugh. Committee ain't going nowhere. Okay. In fact, uh, I hate to break it to you, but uh, I don't think we've even seen the last of Taboo. Uh, that's okay. I kind of like Taboo. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't like a gr- a great villain, but he was serviceable. He did the job. And he's been better than right. some of these other bad guys, you know, old dudes that kidnap Jack Russell. <laughs> with 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 their with their monstrous henchmen waiting in the wings. 
Right. Which, I mean, since we do have a monstrous henchman here, I guess we should talk a little bit about Algon as a character. Again, not the guy from Space, Space Mutiny, right? Commander Calgon, can I help you? Calgon? <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Did you have a reservation? Right, right. Okay, okay. Wait, wasn't the guy from Space Mutiny the guy who played Red Skull? In the 90s movie? Yes. I think so. I am double-checking that now that you've said that, but that feels right. Ugh. That has that has a kernel of truthiness to it. Oh, it was John Philip Law. No. No, it's John Philip Law. It's, it's Sinbad. It's Sinbad, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which you were just talking to me about last night. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, also from Barbarella. And, and Danger Diabolic. Yeah, Danger Diabolic. And another MST3K connection there. Driving up to the store. Gonna pick up some bread. Maybe stop by the post office. Meet Dolores for lunch. Hope they're serving that ham. Oh, yeah. Reverse Raccoon Man. Yep, yep. Although that one always bugged me a little bit. Like, I like that episode, but also Danger Diabolic is a good movie in and of itself. Like, it is it is deliberately campy in the vein of Barbarella. He was also um, Felicia Hardy's father on Spider-Man, the animated series. The 90s? Yep. Oh, he was the cat? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. They, they kind of drew him to look like John Philip Law, actually. <laughs> And of course, Space Mutiny has its own Marvel connection. Right, right. Because it's got Captain America. Um, uh, and uh, Rocky Von Hardcheeks, or whatever his name is. That movie. We put our faith in Blast Hard Cheese. Slab Bulkhead. Bob Johnson. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to sample I mean, Space Mutiny a lot in this you one. You can't. You can't be too hard on Reb Brown, though. I mean, that the second of those Captain America movies also had Christopher Lee in it. This is true. Goes back to our Hammer Horror connection. Yeah. And, I mean, it's they were capitalizing on the same, like, stunt biker fad that Ghost Rider was capitalizing on. This is true. This is true. Oh, uh, with the freaking transparent shield that's also yep. a windshield. Yeah. And the helmet instead of a regular mask. Wait, wasn't Captain America already a motorcycle dude by that time in the comics, though? He he did ride a motorcycle a lot in the comics in the 70s, yes. Because I remember in that issue we, where he fought the werewolves, he was riding around on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Him and yeah, Falcon. Yeah, that, that was kind of kind of his thing. Now, at least at least in the second of those two movies, his like biker outfit, the jumpsuit, was it looked like the comic suit. It had the stripes in the right place and all that. True. Man, those movies. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh. Anyway, back to... Back to Werewolf by Night. Which, you know, it's weird that we're diverging from it, because we really enjoyed this issue. Yeah, this is a good one. This is uh, one of the best werewolf issues we've had in a while. And it feels like a resolution. It, like I said, it feels like a series finale. Yeah, yeah. Even, like... The, the sort of ending on a new shakeup to the status quo. Jack and Topaz departing for Europe, you know? Like, that that feels like the sort of thing you leave off on. Like, it's the thing that Star Trek used to do in the 90s, where your seri- your season finale is part one of a two-parter. Oh, uh, yeah. Last season on Deep Space Nine. Right, so, like, this issue resolves the, the main story of like fighting taboo but it sets up enough of a cliffhanger to bring you back to see what's going to happen next you're like holy crap we're getting dracula right right and and i feel like i don't know because i i don't know that i've ever read this crossover but i feel like this one is going to be more satisfying than the frankenstein crossover i think you're right i i I, in fact i kind of know you're right but you know i mean if for nothing else because it's actually set in the present and not you know a hundred one to two hundred years before uh, Tomb of Dracula starts. True. Speaking of, should we tell them what we're covering next issue yet? Probably a good idea. And you've probably guessed already, we are going to be talking about the crossover. The crossover between Werewolf by Night and Dracula. 
So we're doing both of those issues in one episode. We're covering the whole crossover. So that's Tomb of Dracula 18 and Werewolf by Night 15. So episode 42 is going to be good. Yeah. Yep. Answer to life, universe, and everything. That's this, that too. Yeah. Haven't figured out what the question is yet, but, but that is definitely the answer. But if you think you know the question, or you just have questions for us, you can always contact us at tombofideas at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is at tombofideas. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. Hey, Trey, I think I'm just like a pattern here. Yeah. Um, in addition to all of those places, it is important to remember we are a part of the Cinepunks podcast group. That is Cinepunks with an X. So be sure to check out Cinepunks.com, where you can find our show and all manner of other shows. They've got uh, the main Cinepunks show. They've got horror business. They've got wine and cheese. Uh, We've got some new shows launching in the next few weeks. So be sure to check them out. Uh, Follow their Instagram, too. They've been posting more stuff to the Cinepunks Instagram lately. Uh, Top five lists and discussions of movies and music and stuff like that. So... So be sure to check out Cinepunks. Remember, how could I ever forget? (laughs) Anyway, I do believe that does it for another stellar, fine episode of Tomb of Ideas. I've been James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. Night-night. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tumors Excelsior. <laughs>one thing that I forgot to bring up was uh, the awful person who sent the first letter on the letters page. Oh. Quote, the hangman is the purest hero you've created in ten years. He's what Batman should be, what Captain America cries out to be, what Ditko intended Spider-Man to be. The hangman is a true hero. He has the greatest potential of any character in Marvel's lineup, not as a villain, but as a seeker of justice, a hero. Wow, and I'm I'm assuming they recommend this guy seek counseling? <laughs> Um, they, they say that they should probably wait and see what the second half of that story is. <laughs> oh, boy. And of course, the next letter was about how awful the hangman is and how he's proof that the all-American dream is a myth. Not wrong there. Um, and, and they were like, yeah, you are correct. Like, they agreed with... <laughs> I mean, I forgot to point out that, like, why the hell would you ever open a package with holes in it? This is also true. That That's that's just asking for trouble. Like, first off, no one should ever give a pet as a gift. Like, not through mail. No. And you should never accept an animal that you weren't expecting. Right. Just like... And also, no package containing an animal should, like, be without a label indicating that there's a living thing in there. Yeah. There's just all kinds of reasons she should not have opened that box.